everybody. Welcome to the Neighbors Church Podcast and this February session of our conversations where my wife and I sit down and banter back and forth on theological ideas and the cultural intersection of those ideas and practical, concrete things that we're doing in our marriage, in our family, and with our church community to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That's what this whole gig is about, friends. Everything is in and through and for our merciful King. We're getting this conversation out uh, a little bit late, a couple weeks late. Uh, We try to get these conversations out the first Friday of every month, so you can count on that and be expecting that. But my grandmother contracted COVID while in the hospital recovering from a broken hip and was not able, unfortunately, to survive that. She was 90. And so I have been down in the deep south of the United States in Arkansas <laughs> uh, with my the southern part of my family, uh, you know, funeral preparations and being with family and doing graveside and, and all of those things. And so it's actually been a very sweet and beautiful time. Uh, but now that I'm back in San Diego and back in the saddle, we're ready to rock and roll on these conversations. And what we're talking about over the next six or seven sessions are the seven convictions of our community, seven convictions that we're building our community and our family life and even our personal life around. These convictions come out of a cohort of churches that we are currently a part of, and we're very excited about them. We're praying through them Um often and filtering our lives through these convictions. Yeah, we're really just wanting to make these not uh, just these like philosophical ideas we're talking about, but we're practically looking through concretely, like how does this information, these convictions actually affect our lives and play out in our day-to-day um practice of mm-hmm. life as as practitioners of the way as as Jesus followers. Mm-hmm. If you didn't catch January's conversation, we did a 100,000 foot overview of the seven core convictions and go back and listen to those, but we're going to start with conviction number 1 for February and it is the conviction of courage. And it's more than just like a knight in shining armor courage or a soldier going into battle courage that we're talking about. It's a very specific slice of the pie in the overall courage pie for Christians that we're being called to in this generation. And it's a courageous fidelity to orthodoxy. Said even more simply, mm-hmm. being utterly committed to and courageous in our conviction or committed to um, the belief and the the behavior that results from the belief that scriptures are our authority, that the Bible is our guide for living and for flourishing, and we want to be faithful. That's fidelity. We want to be faithful to that. We don't want to compromise what we have been given in the record of of the scriptures. And so the tagline for this first conviction of courage goes something like this, holding to the historic faith with joy, boldness, and confidence in a time of widespread theological and ethical compromise, particularly in the areas of scripture, sex, money, and power. I mean, man, just right off the bat, scripture, sex, money, and power, I mean, those are very specific 
areas. Yeah, there's a little bit of compromise that happens in those areas <laughs> in our current cultural moment yeah. when we look <laughs> through the lens of scripture. And dear friend, if you're a Bible-believing, Bible-thumping, Bible-toting, be whatever title you so choose to apply to yourself type person. I don't know that I'd go by Bible thumping. I love Bible thumping. I feel like that has baggage to it. Uh, I want to. <laughs> I am a Bible thumper. I want to be <laughs> courageously thumping my Bible with love and joy. <laughs> and it's challenging. Um, my wife and I, as leaders in the church and alongside leaders in the church, we are all mm-hmm. feeling the immense pressure and the temptation to cave, the temptation to to turn cheek and run. Uh, There have been multiple times (laughs) in our marriage and in our leadership and ministry, both personally and with friends in ministry. And I'm sure for you, dear Christian, where you have said, why am I doing this? Yeah. Is this worth it? we, Mm -hmm. we, We hold this book in our hands with these strange stories in it and these strong ethical commands and these behavioral guidelines that are so counter to the moment we find ourselves in and you feel isolated and marginalized and alone and afraid and confused and it's a sophisticated piece of literature so it's difficult to interpret and you do at times feel very tempted like, why why am I doing this? But when it all boils down, the record we have in the scriptures is the text that formed the worldview of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we follow the book that he followed. We are guided by the book that he was guided by. We believe in the book that he believed in. That's our foundation. Mm -hmm. And so from there, we can sort through all of the complexities and actually to be courageous and to be faithful, to be orthodox Christians, right belief and right behaving. Well, it requires that we sort through the complexities. It really reminds me of um, Joshua and how, you know, he was commanded to take ground in the land that was really spiritually and ideologically very, very different than his belief system. Um, And throughout the book of Joshua, there's this refrain that's, you know, consistently being, you know, echoed and it's be strong and very courageous. Yeah, it's not only in Joshua. It's interesting that little line, be strong and mm-hmm. very courageous. It po- it pops up in other places. For example, you see it in the book of Chronicles where King David is turning things over to his son and he's saying, son, here are the words of God. Yeah. Here is Torah. Here is instruction. Now you're going to have to be strong and courageous as it comes to this text and your obedience to it as the king of the nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joshua 1, 6 through 9 says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I mean, even in that text right there, it's just like keeping 
the authority of scripture, keeping the law as our guide, meditating on it day and night, being careful to do everything that's written in it. It's this, it's this, uh, kind of this boundary or Mm -hmm. this lane of protection that we get to run in as followers. And in that in that safe lane, we can be strong and courageous to stay within those lanes. And there's a promise that you will be prosperous and successful, Mm -hmm. but this is why we need to be courageously committed to the text itself. Mm -hmm. Because I think that the temptation reading even that is to say, well, if I do this, then I'll be successful. But we're defining success as the world Mm -hmm. defines success when we read that. But when we really meditate in the scriptures, there's a whole different world of of heavenly success and prosperity that God wants to grant us. And so we have to be courageous as we start to move forward into this land of giants and opposition and the terrifying reality that we are a small, marginalized, obscure people group. Mm -hmm. Christians are very strange in the eyes of our society. And so we must be strong and courageous. Yeah, I mean, we we really are living in a land of giants and it'd be easy to get overwhelmed and to say, uh, we can't, we can't do this. Let's just, you know, back off and not do this. Let's not enter into that conversation. Let's avoid, you know, this conflict or let's avoid the time that it's going to take to put into um, discipling a person. It's just, we want to avoid. And cynicism is easy. Cynicism is easy. Mm-hmm. Some of those giants, what are we looking at? Ooh, yeah. I would, I mean, I would say right off the bat, one of the giants is uh, we're living in an age of spiritism and we're actually not getting less spiritual, but we're getting more spiritual. And we're seeing um, and we'll see the rise of these pagan practices, what Paul called the doctrine of demons. You know, I come out of a background of new age spirituality. I was actually led to Jesus by a group of former heroin addicts as we were studying an ancient Mayan prophecy called the Celestine prophecy. So like, this is my background. And I think so many Christians are unaware of the fact that what we're seeing in some of the mindfulness movement, divorced from Christian tradition and theology, what we're seeing in uh, tarot cards, astronomy, not astronomy, excuse me, that's science. Astrology. Astrology. (laughs) (laughs) It's the year of the tiger. Whichever whichever one is bad. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh, I love you. (laughs) I think what we're seeing is, you know, while secular voices that are atheistic, that is they are purely naturalistic, are very, very loud. They're such a minority. 99% of the humans that we dwell with, we're, we're spiritual beings. And Paul called these false ways of discerning God's will, be that astrology or tarot cards or uh, the, the plethora of various pagan practices that have been with us since the fall of Adam and Eve. He said they were sourced through the doctrine of demons. And I think that Christians need, again, uh, boy, I know I sound like a fundamentalist here, but we need a wake up call to a purity in the church and a power in the church that is driven by a holy devotion to Yahweh, to God, and to the way of Jesus alone that is not polluted and not compromised or synchronized with these pagan practices. I think this is going to be a very important facet of courageous living for the communities of Jesus as we move forward into this next 
post-Christian era. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really with, you know, the spiritism uh, really rising amongst humanity, you're also seeing this overemphasis on self-care, which as you mm. guys know, like we're all about self-care. We're like, hey, Sabbath, a 24-hour shutdown. It's so important for your soul. You know, having moments of silence, you know, all those things are powerful, but not when it's beginning to take on this form of selfishness. You know, just recently I was having a conversation with a gal and and as she was talking about just honestly the incredible growth she was experiencing through therapy, um, I, I recognized there was this thread in the conversation and in, in her narrative where she was saying that, you know, her eternal emotional um, internal, excuse me, her internal emotional state and well-being um, was starting to take this place of um, of God really in her life, and she was making her needs and herself as God, and so everything in her mm-hmm. life is now having to bow down before her internal sense of wellness. And you know, in that situation, it was like things that she was doing with her family that it was like, okay. Yes, maybe in this situation you need to have boundaries with this family member, you know, et cetera. But still, um, Jesus doesn't call us in spiritual wellness and in, you know, silence and solitude and that kind of thing just for like our own personal well being, but it's for the well being of others as well. And it's not at the expense of cutting people out of our lives and that kind of thing. And so I just think that uh, we have to be careful that we're leaning into, well, what is our self-care for? What is spiritual wellness for? Is it just for I can have, so I can have this like internal emotional state of Zen or is it for continuing to make disciples and making sure I'm abiding in the vine and then living sent as a Jesus follower? Yeah, and the the terrifying, jarring reality of Jesus' self-care program was he said, crucify yourself. (laughs) Yeah. That... That's why Christians need courage more than ever because the cultural mantra is that self is at center and self must take precedent. When Jesus said loss of self is the only way you're going to actually truly find yourself. And those are complex statements from a very nuanced teacher. And very counter to today's message. Very counter. And in his, uh, in his, his wisdom, he, he understood the spirit the spiritism would lead to uh, a worship of self. And he understood that for us to truly flourish, that false self has to die. Mm-hmm. And so this is a giant that um, we need to face internally, personally. Is my self-care truly carrying? Is it cross-carrying self-care? Is it losing myself for the sake of others? Uh, because that is the foundation of of living and moving forward and taking ground in the land of giants. Some other giants that I think are pressing. I know one of the ones that presses me constantly, and it has since I became a Christian, is what we're terming scientism. Now, please notice, I didn't say science. I said scientism. Uh, Astronomy is good. Astrology, bad. I got that right this time. Astronomy, good. Study the stars, know the layout of the constellations, all of the beautiful things that astronomy gives us, astrology bad. Where uh, science moves into scientism is when the scientists or the believer in science makes it the absolute and only source of truth and authority. 
And so the mantra in our culture right now is follow the science, follow the science. Science is real. Science is real. That's, <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> the, the little lawn science. I actually remember being on a walk one morning and just having this moment of like, oh, wow, science is real. I guess I didn't know that. <laughs> so um, I think scientism is is so loud in our ears right now. Uh, and it's because the human soul is grasping for answers. And so if you can hold to this kind of empirical worldview that if it's measurable and remeasurable and testable and retestable, then it's concrete and then it's real and then it's trustworthy. But what we're seeing is that even in the world of science, follow the science, follow the science, follow Scientific the science. Method. Um, what we're seeing is that even that is compromised because life is so complex and it is not all measurable. There is much that is mystery and it is not all testable and retestable uh, and able to be held within the confines of human rationality. And this is where, dear Christian, there is a courageous faith that you are called to. Christianity, in my estimation, is utterly rational. The belief in the resurrection, I believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus because it is the only rational explanation for so many things that happened in history, sociologically and psychologically with this community of people. There's much that can be said to refute uh, the idea that Christianity is irrational or that faith-based living is irrational or not scientific. I just don't think that's the case. And so there needs to be a courageous exploration, not an ostrich with your head in the sand thing whenever science challenges or whenever you're challenged in your faith, but this courageous, okay, I need to sort through what is being said here, what is being challenged, and how does science fit in with my faith? Uh, a couple other giants that really press on me, and this one is just kind of a combo. It's like a two-headed beast. Uh, it's liberalism and conservatism. Mm, I mean, liberalism, we talked a lot. And I mean, both of these in the Future Church series. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just that compromising, particularly I would say in sexuality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then conservatism, conservatism, hyper-conservatism. You know, we see that, you know, in the, uh, you know, crazy nationalism, I'd say. Yeah. And maybe I shouldn't use the word crazy um, just to not like throw people under the bus. But yeah, an overemphasis on, you know, America, land of the free and, yeah. you know, what we're fighting for, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think for leaders in the church, 2020 and on, I mean, ever since the 2016 election, actually, and now through up through 2020 and the plague and all the things that we have faced as leaders, what we've discovered is um, everybody is upset about something and whatever you say is going to upset everybody. And um, liberalism, uh, like my wife said, this is very reductionistic. Liberal Christianity would say, well, we, we need to be in step with what's happening around us in the, the, the moral revolutions of society. And so in our humble opinion, there is a compromise of Jesus's sexual ethic. And again, this is very reductionistic. There's so much more. And then in conservatism, there's a, there's an unwillingness to recognize the social injustices. Um, there is a, a strong, uh, call to purity and holiness and, um, you know, take ground, but then there's, almost a denial that that power structure has done damage 
and created inequality in the world. And so um, Jesus tends to offend right and left. Jesus tends to offend and call to repentance the religious and the rebellious. And so the giant in the land uh, has to be courageously navigated. We have to be constantly bringing back our perspectives and our um, attitudes and our view on things through the lens of Jesus and the scriptures. Again, it's, it, you know, as we're just sitting here talking <clears throat> and just again, back to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God will be with you wherever you go. And so just as Jesus followers navigating the land of giants that we live in, we have to remember that like Joshua, we are supposed to lead people and our kids and our friends and our coworkers into God's purposes and plans. And that is going to require uh, courage to remain um, faithful to orthodoxy, to scripture, our mm-hmm. authority. I think it's important to define, you know, what is courage? Webster uh, defines courage as the ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. It's this mental or moral strength to venture, to persevere, and to withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. And the Hebrew word carries the idea of establishing something like, you know, concrete that's setting. When we're courageous, it's like we're we're creating this concrete, stable foundation. And we talked about how that's what conviction is. Mm-hmm. It's like this is something that is, for us, it's, it's, it's a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. No matter what is happening, we have this concrete conviction that we must be courageous. Yeah, courage really can only come from conviction, especially as it pertains to meditating um, and forming our lives through and around the scriptures. And if the scriptures aren't transforming our lives, then of course, you know, we're going to have compromise in so many areas. If the scriptures aren't our authority, then what, well, why, why try and live mm-hmm. some, you know, pseudo life of the scriptures are forming us when they're actually not, because they're not forming us. And so conviction is formed by the foundation, by the foundational beliefs of scripture. Jesus is alive. Uh, he resurrected and we are going to re- resurrect one day. It's interesting. Um, cemeteries are such sobering places and funerals are, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's like you escape the matrix. You, you, you're sitting in this moment of, of confrontation with your finitude that we are going to end and you're immersed in the finality of, of death. And it just seems to provide an escape route from the, the kind of Instagrammed, overly paced, frenetic, go, 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 build my life on this and that stuff that when you're in a funeral, it just is all, it all fades into the background. And you find yourself saying, what really matters? And I'm so grateful for, for how God has worked in my life to this point that I find myself at my deepest foundation going to the scriptures and answering the hard questions. What does this mean? What, why do we die? Where is life going? And it creates a real courage even in the, in the face of death and loss. You know, the stats are clear. We talk about this all the time. We are all being formed by something. And so as my wife was talking, I just realized we will be cowards if we're not being formed 
by the scriptures intentionally. It has to be prioritized. Think of it as like Navy SEAL training. And if they are not trained when they go into war, then of course they're not going to be well-equipped. They're not going to be strengthened. They're not going to know what to do or how to handle what's happening to them. Christian, it is of utmost importance that your soul is formed by the reading of these texts in the same way that Jesus was formed by them and that it becomes the primary form of your formation. And I think what's important in this conversation too is, you know, people can ask the question, well, then if it's just between you and Jesus, well, how do you know that you're actually, you know, being formed by the scriptures and not your own interpretation of the scriptures and that kind of thing? And and that's where I think it's important to know as well that courage is both personal and communal. We have, you know, the scriptures, of course, and our relationship with Jesus, but we also have a community of believers alongside us who are running this race and help keep us again in that lane of orthodoxy. Mm. And, you know, on the personal front, courage is sourced, um, you know, through our personal testimony, the things that we have um, experienced in our lives through scripture and through our salvation. Like moments of personal obedience that brought forth, whoa, this changed my life because I actually obeyed this really scary thing Mm -hmm. in the Bible. That's huge. Yeah. Personal testimony is huge. And if we are not convinced personally and transformed by the fidelity to orthodoxy, then, you know, it's kind of like I said a few moments ago, we can, we can talk about it all we want, but we're really not going to create um, within ourselves. There's not going to be true courage that's there, and we're not going to be able to contribute true courage to our community. Um, and we have to personally wrestle and do the work. Like there is action and partnership that... Um, is a have to when it comes to fidelity mm. to scripture. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. Oh no. I was just going to say, you know, really we're, we're building courage bit by bit, you know, decision by decision. And like I said, mm. you know, we do that personally, but we also do that on this communal level, which is so powerful. Lex, honey, I love that idea. We build courage bit by bit. Like I think sometimes when we get overwhelmed as Christians, like, oh, I got to face scientism and liberalism and, and hyper-conservatism and astrology. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's actually one decision at a time. Each decision we are faced with through the course of our days is a decision to either courageously be faithful to scripture or to not. And every time we choose to be courageous, the kingdom breaks in a little more. Mm-hmm. And every time we choose to retreat, well, hell stands its ground. But Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail. Mm -hmm. On the personal front of courage, I want to say and acknowledge faith itself in these texts and faith itself in Jesus is a huge act of courage. Yeah, man. It it is, faith is terrifying when you actually read the words of Paul or read the words of Jesus and what these men were talking about and the, the women leadership of the texts as well, what the people of God meant by faith. Um, Faith requires a trust, even when we don't feel, when we don't see, when the circumstances seem to be absolute. Maybe your circumstances, maybe this is the word for you, that the circumstances and what you feel in your body right now is so counter to faith. And it's it's an invitation to the conviction of courage, to courageously trust that Jesus is there. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
That just reminds me a few weeks ago, uh, a dear sister in our community, Katie Randall, she just had this word um, in pre-gathering prayer and this prayer really of commitment to trust in God, our father, even when she can't feel it or see it, but to trust in who he has revealed himself to be in scripture. And really, you know, that trust requires courage and a conviction to remain faithful and a conviction to be faith-filled, even when she, you know, isn't personally or experientially um, receiving something from Jesus, though he says in his word, you know, here's who I am. She's like, well, I'm not experiencing that, but I will trust you, Father. Mm. I just loved that. And it's this, um, yeah, it takes courage. It takes courage to walk by faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah, and the reason for that is it, fear is caused by the unknown darkness, uncertainty, and a lack of control, mm-hmm. which if we are honest, is 95% of our life. We, 95% <laughs> of the time, we don't know what's going to happen. 95% of the time, we're kind of in the dark. I wish it was more like 85%. Yeah. It's just not it's the like, way the cookie 15%. crumbles. <laughs> in a broken world, it's just not how it rolls out. And so faith itself is this radical act of courage. But listen, biblical faith is not just an intellectual assent to a set of beliefs. And I think that that is a massive weakness in Western Christianity that is being alleviated by this neo-monastic framework of an embodied Christianity. More on that in later conversations. But let me say, biblical faith actually moves your body to tangible action. There's a story I always tell to express this. Back in a lifetime ago now, I was a little bit extreme and uh, bungee jumping and stuff like that. And um, Not anymore because he's married to me and I won't let him. (laughs) Yeah, no, she won't. You're never um, jumping off anything again. <laughs> yeah. So we would bungee jump off of this bridge, which at the time was one of the highest legal bungee jumps in North America. But it was always so funny to me. You would have these guys that would be like, yeah, Dan, I can't wait. I'm going to meet you out there at the bridge, 6 a.m. We're going to be jumping off. It's going to be so awesome. And 6 a.m. would roll around and, and there would be a group. Uh, and some of those guys that were like the most zealous, those that seemed to be like the most courageous, They were like no-shows. And I just realized like, oh, they don't actually believe that the bungee cord is going to catch them. (laughs) Like they don't have enough faith in the bungee cord to actually do it. Now, there was always a group out there that were terrified. I mean, they were terrified. And yet they would strap that bungee cord around their ankles. My brother was one of these people. And hop off that bridge screaming all the way to the bottom of the recoil. But they had enough faith to... To, to embody action. They had enough faith in the bungee cord to embody action. Today, we have to jump into the arms of Jesus. You have to let go of your control of this situation and trust him. You have to courageously believe that he is sorting through the details of the mess and the chaos and the darkness and let him catch you. Faith is an embodied action of courage. And you also have to have the courage to put on the bungee cord and let it catch you. I mean, there is that action, like you said, that action piece of it is, yes, I'm trusting that you're going to catch me, but it is, you know, actually putting the bungee cord on and jumping because, you know, in that situation, I'd never jump off the bridge. I just, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I would, I would not put the bungee cord around my ankles and I wouldn't jump. And so there is that level of the willful action and intention of I'm going to be courageous in this land of giants 
And of course, I'm going to be gracious and compassionate and patient and loving and how I communicate and how I hold to orthodoxy. But I'm going to put the bungee cord around my ankles and I'm going to jump. Yeah. And I think if we're going to carry this bungee thing out all the way to the (laughs) end, the way you put that bungee cord on is you put it on by actually reading the scriptures through prayer and all the practices that we talk about every month, silence, solitude, Sabbath, feasting, fasting, and then a huge one. There's just something about getting a group of people around you that believe the same thing and are trying to be courageous. Mm -hmm. Um, There were a number of people in the bungee illustration. There were a number of people that those dudes would not jump, but if their buddies were there saying, hey, don't wuss out, they would jump. There's something about a community around you that forms courage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so again, courage is both personal, but it is communal. Courage actually grows in community and can even bring some to belief and bring healing to people when they're paralyzed. I love you know, this story in Mark 2 where you see the faith and the courage of this community bring healing and salvation for this paralyzed man. In Mark 2, it says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Camp Capernaum, Nam, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered that mat, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, notice when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. So remember, our community becomes a reflection of what we believe and how we behave. It's not just personal. It is this communal collective action and belief. And we are biologically and spiritually wired, hardwired to mimic one another. We build each other up in our beliefs. And granted, we can build each other up in wrong belief and in wrong action. And that's how you get you know weird things like cults. But on the flip side of that, we can build each other up in right belief. You know, when we talk about mimicking, I have so many friends that have these, you know, strong personalities and the way they talk and carry themselves in the world. It's like, before I know it, I'm spend two or three days with them and I'm suddenly talking like them. And my family will be like, oh, you're talking like so-and-so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll realize, oh, wow, I just, I'm so influenced and I mimic their behavior. Who is your community? Is it the news feeds? Is it Instagram? What are you mimicking right now? And I mean, we live under the delusion, under the myth that we're all these autonomous, individual, you know, totally original people. Uh, We're not. We're all part of a crowd. And so this constant refrain to be deeply intertwined with a community around you that are facing the same giants, asking the same questions, struggling with the same points of deconstruction and faith and doubt, Uh, It's so, so important because God loves to act on behalf of a believing community. And he will act on behalf of a believing community for the sake of the one who is, let's carry the Mark II thing, paralyzed by cowardice or by unbelief. Uh, This courageous belief within community, I think, is 
a massive source of healing for the deconstruction that's happening in culture right now. A community group can lean in and tear off the roof to bring somebody who's paralyzed by doubt, somebody who's paralyzed by depression, somebody who's paralyzed by loneliness or anxiety. Their community can tear the roof off by prayer and by courageous faith for that person and see them healed. More and more, I think, community groups, these small networks of relationships are called to lean in for the lost and um, exercise a courageous faith that moves people and transforms people uh, in the here and now. And that requires, I mean, this type of community, the other courageous piece in that is it requires vulnerability and transparency. I mean, that's probably the most difficult part of Christian community is being vulnerable enough to say like, I came across this passage. I want to be faithful to scripture. I can't believe it says this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or processing with your community. I have no clue why Jesus would not allow or not want this for my life. And being vulnerable in that. And then being courageous enough to explore that and ask the hard questions and sit in the tension of maybe not getting the answers that you want right away. And all of this, friends, is it all has its resolution in love, Mm -hmm. in love. Yeah, really, courage is compelled by love and it will not relent. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all and that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Again, it's this like tearing the roof off of souls and relationships and exteriors and pressing in and getting one another to Jesus. And it's this love that's compelling us to not give up for one another. Have you ever seen, you know, that parent become, or like a mom, you know, become like a superhero when their kid's in trouble? There's like this love that compels this parent's protection of their child that they're literally, you know, able to lift cars and do random, you know, crazy stuff. And so I think it's important to ask ourselves, are we, is our love for the world compelling us with courage? Yeah. I mean, St. Paul's words are piercing. He would say that love compelled him because he was convinced Mm -hmm. that Jesus had died for all. That deep convincing is how the man courageously withstood imprisonment, beatings, betrayals. And when Paul, I'm sure, I'm sure at three o'clock in the morning after the third shipwreck and the fourth beating and his, his fourth or fifth round of friends betraying him, I'm sure Paul was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> why, do I, why do I stay committed to these texts, to this Jesus? And his response would be, I know Jesus's love so well. It compels me and I am convinced that he not only died for me, he died for those that are betraying me, died for those that have beaten me down. And so this love that compels us, it it, it creates a courage that catapults us into relationships where we are willing to be faithful to scripture with friends, with family members, with ourselves. And ultimately it's what catapults the Christian church to the nations. The church, friends, in this season, the last thing we, the Christian community, are going to do is hunker down. We are not going to cower in our little communities. And mind you, I'm not talking about some outlandish, brutish way of being in the world. 
I'm saying that Jesus promised the gates of hell would not prevail. The giants in the land will fall. The great commission, go and make disciples, baptizing in my name, in the Father and the Son and in the Holy Spirit. This this posture of living sent into the world, compelled by love, this is the call of the church in this generation. It's the call of you as you're listening to this. God even now is inviting you to assess where have I been compromising in my fidelity to scripture, to orthodoxy? Where have I been kind of lone wolfing it and not abiding in a community around me that's struggling with the same things that I'm struggling with? Where have I been kind of giving a nod to Christianity, to the scriptures, but I haven't strapped that bungee cord around my ankle and jumped? You know, I'm still just kind of talking about it, but I don't actually show up to the bridge and jump. All of these things are an invitation to you today as we, you know, are in the second month of 2022 and and making our way through these days. And so a courageous faithfulness to orthodoxy, the flourishing that you're hoping for, the peace that surpasses understanding, the love that you're longing for, the sense of meaning that God wants to grant you, it will start with this foundation of an undeniable, non-negotiable conviction I will courageously be faithful and strong in the land of the giants as I love people through the love of Jesus. Shalom, friends. Shalom. Shalom.